Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Shittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running the rest of their lives. So excited for today's Coach's Corner episode. We have Corinne Malcolm and Allison Staples. Corinne Malcolm is an elite trail and ultra runner who is well known to a lot of people, uh, not just the trail and ultra community, but also in podcast world. Her her uh, her podcast, Trail Society, which she co-hosts with just some amazing runners as well. Keely Henninger and Hillary Allen is one of the best podcasts out there, and I just can't recommend it strongly enough. She's also a coach over at CTS Trainwreck, where they have their own coaching podcast, which is also excellent. In addition to Corinne, I, mean, I should say, before we get into Allison, who's also fantastic, Corinne also is doing a lot of um, live podcast, live, live live media work around Broken Arrow uh, Sky Race coming up this weekend. In addition to that, Western States 100. So she's going to be doing the live shows over on YouTube. Um, and that's going to be fantastic. She did it last year with Dylan Bowman. And I just could not stop watching. And I'm sure it's going to be the exact same this year. Allison Stables is back on the show. She is a coach for Run to the, Run to the Finish. Uh, in addition to that, she is also a coach with her a boutique indoor running studio called And Running Studio. And she's a crew leader at the Wyatt Squad Running. So she is someone who's also is extensive work in the running community and she's a physical therapist assistant and in this episode we talk all about running in the heat preparing to do it how you have to train how you have to adapt to certain things what the adaptation looks like how it affects your intake especially from a uh, fuel water and salt perspective and at the end some tips and tricks on how to do it uh, as best you can and for people who are going to be racing in the heat preparing for race day because some of us are trying to avoid the heat some of us need to adapt to the heat so we can get ready for a race so there's kind of both ends of the spectrum with that before we get into it though I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Tannery, T-A-N-R-I. Tannery is the sunscreen I use when the weather starts to get hot and when I'm just increasing in the sun exposure. So not even the hot weather. When it's just all of a sudden the days get longer, my runs are out in the sun and I need to protect myself. If you've ever seen me, then you know the importance that I need to place on sun protection. That's exactly where Tannery comes in. They have their mineral sunscreen and their traditional sunscreen as well. So you can have whatever one you choose. I'm also a big fan of the lip balms. I need that for my lips and it's super important for me. In addition to that, it's not filled with a bunch of chemicals that you're not going to want to put on your skin. Okay, I know so, so there are some sunscreens that may be able to do the job, but you don't really like the, the, the ingredients in there and you don't want that kind of stuff on your skin. And in addition to that, it's not going to run into your eyes. The only running that's going to be happening is your running. You don't want sunscreen running into your eyes, getting that burn, because that just it really defeats the purpose. And if you get that, you're probably not going to wear it. And if you're not wearing it, then there's going to be some serious trouble down the line. Go to tannery.com today, T-A-N-R-I dot com today and use code rambling runner to save some dough while you're there so let's get into it with corinne malcolm and allison staples all right we are back with another coach's corner episode and today we got corinne malcolm and allison staples here to talk all things heat heat training getting ready for all of that and before we get into it i do have to ask both of you kind of what your 
I guess, when the heat starts to affect you as athletes, because you also uh, are not only coaches, you're also athletes as well. Corinne, I'm going to start with you as someone with a Nordic skiing background. What kind of heat stats do you notice that start to affect you or, you know, affect your training? Um, maybe not like in terms of like its actual quality, but you start to be like, oh, God, this is <laughs> we're in a new era here. Winter is over. Yeah, I think knowing that I've got a Nordic skiing background, you'd think I'd probably melt in summer temperatures, but I've actually, I feel like I've thrived in a lot of really hot races over the years. And I think it's, I notice not necessarily like the hot, hot, hot days, but that tr that seasonal transition, right? The first warm day of the spring, the first hot day of, of May that, that sneaks up on you more than anything. So that couldn't, like, sometimes that's 70 degrees. Sometimes that's not 90 degrees. Um but it does. I think it, it takes your body a while to adapt to that. And so it's always that first, I don't know, there's always a day in May or April that just like slams you and you're like, oh, right. Okay. Seasons are, seasons are changing. Seasons are moving. Absolutely. And, and Allison, just someone who's been living in the mid-Atlantic for a long time, Baltimore and now DC, what's it been like for you? Or is it, is it so, does it feel like it's more omnipresent than maybe in other, in other areas or how has it affected you? I actually look forward to summer and humidity and heat because it's so much easier to figure out what to wear as opposed to layering up and having to layer down and just like either too hot or too cold versus, you know, in the summertime, it's just a sports bra and a pair of shorts. You cannot go wrong with that. So I actually look forward to the higher temperatures. Oh, that's an interesting question. Corinne, do you have a preference in terms of you had to like, not like, obviously everyone likes a temperate day, but if you had to uh, choose between you know, a very warm, humid day or a very cold, windy day. So kind of like not only the not only the temperature, but you also have the other element there, whether it's humidity in the summer or the wind in the winter. Which one do you choose? I hate wind. I but the thing is I hate humidity. I really wind is my least favorite element. In in my mind, wind makes all the other 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 elements worse. It's kind of my my take on wind. But I've always kind kind of had this philosophy where it's like it's easier easier to put more layers on. At a certain point, you can't take anything else off, right? Like all of a sudden, it's like you're in a sports bra and shorts and you're like, well, running naked's not going to really help me out here. So I think <laughs> that there's kind of that element to it where it's easier for me to like throw another jacket on as opposed to like, man, when it's hot, hot, it's like you can't you can't get more naked. That's true. The law of diminishing returns when it comes to clothes <laughs> removal is a very real thing. <laughs> Whole, whole body chafing. I don't know what they make for for that. <laughs> well, I don't know. We need to get we need to get a sponsor. If, if there's a sponsor out there who would like to take this segment over and, and ask, answer Alice's question, we'd be be happy to have you. That's true. Ch chafing in the summer is certainly, um, at least for me, has has amplified uh, amplified the menace a little bit. Um, Corinne. When you're going through your, your conversations with your athletes, knowing that full, full well that some of them will be in various different places, but when you're talking about heat and humidity and its effects on their performance, let's, let's just start with the easy runs, okay? We hear all the time that easy runs stay easy. That's the point and try to kind of disengage from the watch, go a little bit more by feel. These are kind of, these are common things we've heard on this podcast many times. And it's just in the general running media, you hear that a lot. When you're talking to some of your athletes for an easy running perspective, what are some of the things that you really try to hammer home for them when the conditions start to get really unfavorable? Yeah. I mean, I think that advice still rings true, right? I, I, I prescribe running based on rate of perceived exertion for the most part. 
So, you know, it's it's uh, an RPE 5 out of 10 or 6 out of 10 or 4 out of 10 being a recovery run. Um, and with that, you know, I think it's easier to disengage from the watch, from the pace, from the heart rate and just be like, okay, I have to, you know what, maybe my RP 5 out of 10 is normally 8-minute miles, but today it's 10-minute miles. Like being able to kind of listen to your body. So I hope that the prep work we've done as far as like being able to feel the intensities can kind of come through more and take that comparison game out of like the comparison trap out of the first couple hot runs of the year. But that's still what I go to is like, yeah, you've got to go easy. You've got to like, you, like your heart rate's going to be higher. Your pace is going to be slower for, for the given intensity. That is okay. That is normal. And that will change as an athlete again, becomes adapted to that, to that new temperature. And when you're talking about the rate of perceived exertion, that's a great explanation that you just gave. How would you segment that in terms of, um, say, the beginning to middle to maybe even the end of the run? You know, and I, and I bring that up because, say, I, I ran a super hot human run the other day, and I and I basically kept what it felt like a relatively even um, RPE the whole way, except for like the first two minutes or something as I'm kind of getting into it. But I my heart rate continued to go up and up and up as I went, not you know in a fairly linear fashion. And I would say that I had the same amount of effort the whole way. But if someone was maybe heart rate training or was really sick in the heart rate, they might, you know, kind of tisk tisk me at the end of the run. So how do you segment there or do you not? So there's there's natural cardiac drift that occurs independent of environment, independent of if we put you on the treadmill, right, in a in a climate controlled room for an hour at a set pace, you would still see cardiac drift. It might be larger in an untrained individual. It might be larger when you add in environmental factors like the heat and humidity, but the, the, but that cardiac drift is normal. And so I would say to someone who's heart rate training, like be cognizant of it, but understand that there is a normal cardiac drift to expect. And I don't know what the exact percentage is going to be there, but that that is, that's normal independent of an environmental stressor like heat and humidity. Yeah, that's a great point. Allison, when you're talking to some of your athletes, how do you take into account people who either are more heat adapted because of where they live and maybe just some of the training they do, even if it's and it doesn't even necessarily have to be dependent on where they live. There's some people who will run on treadmills in really hot rooms, like in the middle of winter. So they, they could still be getting some of that stimulus. But just in terms of the differentiation between people in terms of what they can handle from a heat adaption standpoint, and just some of the natural differences that some people might just be less inclined to running in the heat well compared to maybe some of the other athletes that you're working with. Yeah, I think it always hits that first warm, um, warmer because because warmer is subjective to the runner, um, warmer run for that person. And it's always, I have to approach it from a mental standpoint. Like you're going to have to slow down and you're going to have to be okay with slowing down, even if that means doing a wrong walk, because I guarantee you, like your heart rate is not going to drop that low while you're walking. Um, if you need to, if you feel like your, your rate of perceived desertion is way too high, then you're going to have to walk. Um, so for my athletes, it tends to be I have to address it mentally first. Like you're going to have to be okay with this. And I promise you, you're not losing fitness and, you know, go down that whole route. Um, in order for them to be okay to address like the technical part of hydration and, you know, everything else you can do to make your run more comfortable. Yeah. And let's talk about some of your athletes that are maybe, um, you know, their easy run is maybe more like the 10, 11 minute range. Maybe someone who's new to running or someone who's getting back into running either from a long period of time from, a, from an absence standpoint or getting back into it because of, of injury where for them slowing down because of the heat, all of a sudden they're then pushing up against the difference between the running and the walking where there doesn't seem to be a huge gap. So talk to me about that, kind of that 
that really thin line between the run and the walk and how you deal with athletes, not only in terms of letting them know that their fitness isn't suffering, but just kind of the mental and confidence part that goes along with that, which I can I can see that being something that uh, could take a hit in some of those circumstances. Yeah, I coach a lot of beginner runners and a lot of runners that are recovering from injury. And, um, you know, they make great progress. And then as soon as the weather hits, they feel like they're going to lose it all. Um, And then it becomes a matter of another mental aspect is training versus time over mileage. So then I have to go into the whole aspect of why, um, you know, in the summertime or why just in general, it's a good idea to train off of time base versus mileage. Um, So maybe if the athlete can't get to five miles in the summertime, all right, well, let's think about how long it's going to realistically take you to get there um, in a run walk. And, you know, you're achieve the same thing. If we, if I don't push you to five miles, maybe just 45 minutes and you'll get the same just because your heart rate is already elevated. So um, just looking at a different way of approaching training helps a lot. And Corinne, hey, do you coach any athletes that are dealing with some of the same circumstances that Allison just talked about from a, from a pace perspective? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I've got beginner runners. I've got I've got athletes that have eight, you know, that are aging, that are in their 70s, for example, too. And it's, you know, we're all kind of coming to running from a different different walk of life. Athletes returning from injury is another great example, too, where they might be on a run-walk program and they've finally gotten back up to that 20 or 30-minute run, cons- like in, like with consecutive minutes of running, and can feel that setback coming on. But I do think that, you know, again, it's kind of going back to that, like, it's more of a mental a mental pep talk over, uh, you know, having to do anything crazy physiologically and just saying like, nope, it's, it's going to be okay. And then, you know, even talking through then, okay, like, you know, well, in two weeks, it's going to be better because, you know, it's going to take seven to 10 days to make these adaptations, um, less for men, more for women, generally speaking. And then you're going to start to feel more comfortable. Your heart rate's going to come back down a little bit. Um, your perceived exertion is going to go back down a little bit as you become adapted to that new new environment, be it the, the warming days of spring or those those hot, hot days that are going to start hitting in the middle of the summer or right now in a lot of places. Absolutely. And, and Grant, have you, do you go out of your way to talk about humidity and or dew point with your athletes just from a um, perspective of understanding how the weather can influence their RPE? I think I talk about it more in the sense of kind of like looking at uh, it's it's almost like a red a red flag warning that you get for wildland fires, right? That you've got that wet globe, the the wet bulb globe temperature, um, and and there are a couple of different organizations that use different standards for kind of what you know what is it like a I think they call it like a black day essentially where it's like it's a no go it's a no go run day in a lot of places, but just more than anything talking to athletes about how you know it's not just the temperature it's the humidity and those things combined are going to have a greater impact on not only performance but kind of health and safety and then steering athletes towards okay like i know you're not a morning runner but we're going to need to be a morning runner right now or that kind of thing to try to keep them safe running in in times of the day where it's going to be cooler or where air pollution is going to be lower for example because that's another big factor on on hot sunny days in a lot of places too how about you allison um, I don't really bring it up specifically. I think that bringing up the element of weather, just something to, I mean, like how often do we stress out about race day weather? So for me to bring up like training day weather, oh my God, the dew point is going to be this. Well, let's just go off of how you feel um, versus throwing all these numbers at you. So, um, you know, when, when that weather switches, I have more talks with my athletes about how to prepare for the run, maybe switching times, like Corinne said, ways to stay cooler um, versus tracking the calendar and the weather. Just how do you feel on the run becomes very, very more important than any other number, pace included. 
I love that. Yeah, because I go back and forth on that topic all the time where I don't want to like, you know, kind of like set someone up with an excuse. Right. Or even it's for myself. Right. I don't want to like provide myself a reason why it didn't go well before the thing has even happened. Right. But at the same time, I also want to be aware of the conditions. Right. If it's going to hail outside, I'd prefer to know before I go out the door. So, you know, like for me, it's like if the dew point gets to like 70 and up, you know, I'd prefer like, you know, my athletes or even me to kind of know ahead of time and not necessarily to like cancel the workout necessarily, depending on how things are going, but to be like, hey, like, you know, your threshold effort is probably going to be more like half marathon pace or maybe marathon pace during this sucker because it's just going to be hard. It's just going to be harder where especially if they're a very watch focused person, even if we try to break them of that, um, they might not simply be going on RPE. And even if they are, things could escalate quickly, much more quickly than maybe they're used to. And it can get a little tricky. So I kind of go back and forth with that. How about you, uh, Corinne, in terms of like the the paradox of like being aware of all the, the, the data beforehand, but at the same time, not giving yourself um, that excuse if things are also aren't going in your way. Yeah, I think it's like the kind of the broad forecast is nice to know once again more to be like, okay, like I really do need to get motivated to like start this run at 5am and not 9am or whatever it might be. But I'm kind of chuckling to myself here too, because I've got a bunch of athletes that are prepping for like Western States 100 or Badwater or something of that nature. And it's like, we're intentionally or Tahoe 200 coming up next week, where I'm intentionally like I've sent them out at like 1pm or 2pm into the heat of the day to like just spend more time in that environment. And it's it's, but I'm not making them do threshold intervals, right? I'm, it's like, that's an easy, an easy effort to get some heat exposure. And so it's kind of, yes, we want to protect athletes from things like, you know, heat stress and heat stroke. But at the same time, you know, I'm more than anything, I think it's like when I see an athlete's workout after the fact, and it's like a Texas athlete and, you know, the, the post workout comments say something about like how hard it was. And then I'm like, oh, well, they ran it like. 1230. Like, okay, like I can understand why it was so hard. And then, you know, maybe it's a, a light, a light nudge or a suggestion like, hey, like, can I move this workout earlier next time? Like, you did go out in a really hard time of day to run, but not not try to set them up with that excuse ahead of time. And I think I kind of default to like them listening to their bodies, them listening to how it feels, and then like their general safety and well-being over, you know, being the perfect weatherman. That's a great point because I basically had framed this conversation of like of saving people or protecting people from the heat or preparing them to handle it in a way that like isn't subjecting them to the elements, so to speak. You bring up a great point. There's plenty of people who are racing in the summer and they have to be prepared for that. The vast majority of people who are listening to this are probably not ra- running some of the races that you just mentioned, right? So we most people who listen to the Rambling Runner are you know. They can be trail or road racers, but predominantly are not ultra runners for the most part. So. Let me just follow up on what you just said in terms of preparing yourself for the heat. Do you say, say if someone's getting like the, the five mile, five K, a 10 mile race, which was kind of the, 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 the ballpark for most people listening to this in the summer. Um, do you do anything specific from a heat adaptation standpoint in terms of time of day to get them ready for the heat that you know for it's going to be for a hot race? Or is that more towards like the ultra running side of things? So I'd say 5K is kind of on the fence there, right? So why you want someone to be heat acclimated is because you you have like a thermal tolerance or you only have so many degrees your body can warm before it's like too hot. You can get up to like people, they'll do post-race temps at like the Boilermaker or some other of these like big, huge like road 10Ks to 10 miles. And people have super high core temps after those races and don't have any like clinical 
symptoms necessarily of heat stress. And so it's normal for your body temp to go up when you're exercising. 5K is kind of right on that like limit for a lot of folks as far as like, are they going to overheat in that time period? You get longer than that. You get into you get into 10 mile, you get into half marathon, you get into a marathon. All of a sudden, yes, like the likelihood of people overheating goes way, way up. And so as opposed to targeting specific times a day, like my favorite thing is actually for ultra runners or for like road runners running shorter stuff is actually to utilize things like the sauna and post-exercise sauna protocols just because it allows them to keep the quality of their workouts, which I love. I love not having to like overdress or send people at 2 p.m. if I don't have to. Um, so quality of the workouts stay high and they can stay on their normal running schedule. And the the ask is if available to the athlete, they get into a sauna post, post run for 20 to 30 minutes. They don't have to go in there for 90 minutes. They don't have to go in there for two hours. It's a short little sauna session post-exercise because you're already pre-warmed. So an uh, interesting thing to do, right, for an athlete potentially is say you're it's Texas and it's it's early spring. It's not quite warm. It's not quite warm, hot yet, right? You could, in theory, prep them for training in a way by adding in, you know, oh, like, hey, you've got sauna access at your gym. You can safely get in there. Okay, like, let's do that for a week, you know, to set you up for the warm weather that's coming down the road because all of a sudden these athletes are getting plenty of heat exposure, but it's kind of like the what can you do in the winter or or like kind of spring, late springtime to set someone up for an easier transition to hot weather running is kind of how I like to think about that. Yeah, that's a great point. Allison, is there anything on, on top of that that you want to add? No, um, I, I ran Trans Rockies in Colorado three years ago, I think. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I went outside <laughs> at one o'clock, two o'clock, right when the sun was over top of my head uh, and because I didn't have elevation. So not that it's the same, but the effort level um, were the same. So I did that. And I have friends running it this year. And that's exactly what I told them to do. Make sure you go out at the hottest point of the day, you know, sunscreen cover up, but you want to make sure that you at least feel some of, you know, that harder effort that you're going to feel out there with higher elevation. So there's a time and a place to use heat um, in training. Now, Allison, I'll start with you on this one in terms of workout construction. All right. So, um, I don't know how you often to segment workouts and things like that, but are you more likely to do walking rest, say like in a speed session, right? So we'll focus on like more like speed session type stuff. We're talking intervals of seven minutes or less, all right? Whether you're doing time or, or, or distance, but overall in terms of seven minutes or less, all the way down to like one minute intervals, are you more likely to do walking rest in the summer? Uh, or is does does it not matter in terms of recovery between uh, between the the up tempo segments, or how, does anything change in the summer for your workout construction? Um, not necessarily. It depends on how long the workout is itself, um, and it depends on whether or not I'm looking for like an endurance based interval session, or strictly just like let's just work on speed and turnover because those are always going to be um, walking breaks in between. So not necessarily. Um, nothing really changes in the summer. Okay. How about you, Corinne? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd say I'm fairly similar there. I'm, and I kind of like year round too. I'm like, okay, why don't you like, if it's, if it's something like a threshold interval, right up in that seven, six, seven minute range, and they've got like a three minute recovery or something like that. I'll be like, oh yeah, why don't you like walk for a minute or two and then kind of ease into that, that jog before you get going for the next one. That's kind of my year round staple. I love, I love a good walk coming out of an interval. <laughs> um, you know, a little active recovery. But once again, this is kind of where like listening to your body or if you have an athlete that's heart rate trained, right, that would be a place too where they could check back in to see like, okay, is my heart rate coming down? And has it come down well or not in between? And maybe that means 
the recovery needs to be easier. I'm kind of in the mindset too that I don't know that you can do I think people like recovery differently, right? Like how it feels, like how how fast that recovery, you know, portion is. But I think that like technically it can't really be too easy, right? Like I've got a friend who are, like, bothers me because she like really walks, like slow walks in between. And I'm like, can we jog a little bit? Like I'm not – I don't want to go fast, but just like a little jog. Um, and it's like, okay, like technically speaking, you can't really do the recovery too easy. So that should be fine. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense, right? Unless you're like preparing for like the mile. Right. Where you're like, all right, no, we need to like, you know, it's almost like someone's like a power lifter. You're like the recovery needs to like completely reset you before you do like another like really hard set um, as opposed to like, you know, the, the, the runners among us who, you know, for me, like the, the jog recoveries can, can get can certainly get tough a little bit um, with like you have some people. And I guess this, this is to the point, too, where like um, if you have people who sometimes will gas some early reps. And then kind of speed up the recovery a little bit. They kind of like coast into the recovery, the recovery jog. And like you see like they're under, depending on like what app you use or whatever. You see like their recovery jog is like still above like their median average pace for the whole length of the run. You're like, that's not going to last. And it just starts, <laughs> starts drifting down and down and down and down every between every set. That'll, that'll teach them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally they figure it out at some point, right? Like it blows up in their face. I, I love, we do these VO2 max intervals, right? That are like one to three minutes long and in the in the box, like the description, I always say, if you want to die during these, that's probably the right intensity. Like that's okay. <laughs> like if you decide that you want to quit the workout partway through, you're running the right effort. That's how it should feel. So it's, yeah, you figure it out pretty quickly when the recovery becomes too hard because it's really hard to keep going in those workouts. Right. Yeah. I, I see. I find myself writing in a lot of in a lot of uh, workout sessions in the summers, especially if you like try to gas the last two or something, something to that effect. Right. The I, With like the idea of being like, I'm what I'm not saying here is not to gas the first four or six or eight or whatever. whatever how many, how many, we, blah, blah, how many we are doing on that particular day. Um, Corinne, how do you start to address hydration, salt, and sweat needs as the temperatures go up? Because obviously everyone's different, but everyone's going to be impacted by the weather um, when it comes to those things. Yeah. So it's good to say, it's good to put that out there that everyone is going to have different hydration needs. And that's why there's, that's why we recommend like stuff in ranges, right? Like, cause you likely fall somewhere within that range. Maybe you're above it, maybe you're below it, but generally like it's a pretty wide range, even like hourly, with the athletes I coach that are training, like they're going out for a long run, for example, like I'll say something like 16 to 36 fluid ounces. That's a huge range per hour, right? That's that's massive. But like people fall generally within there somewhere and it's kind of nice to have a ballpark. Um, one thing to note too is that as you adapt to the heat, you should start sweating sooner. Um, the sweat's a little bit more dilute because you're just like producing more of it more than anything. That helps a little bit with electrolyte balance. Um, your kidneys are doing their job. That's what we want to hear. Um, and so from there, it's like people like what I what I caution athletes is, is that if you're going to do like sweat testing, for example, and the patches are OK and there's different stuff out there. Or even if you're going to like weigh yourself pre and post run and see how much fluid you're losing, um, that's going to shift a little bit based on not only the the conditions, but also based on how acclimated you are to those conditions. Um, so that changes over time. So it's not like you have a permanent setting of like, oh, I produce this much salt per liter of sweat and I sweat this many liters per hour. Like that's not a, that's not a, um, uh, what am I going to say? That's not like a consistent value, generally speaking. Like it, there's fluctuation there throughout the year and throughout the season. Um, 
but I think that you can start with ballpark stuff. Like one, just like encouraging athletes to bring liquid on runs. Um, generally speaking, on, it's on, like on which runs? Because this is where it starts to get tricky for people. So they'll buy into that, they're in it, but then they're like, "All right, say so you're an athlete who basically all their runs are an hour or more, right? Maybe there's like one a week that's less, but it's not even like that much less. So they're all between sixty and seventy minutes, and then there's ones that are you know ninety to two and a half hours, ninety minutes to two and a half hours long. Does that mean they're taking something with them on every run? I think when you're in the heat of the summer and you're not on a route that has water on it, like there are like a lot of my Texans, ath- Texas athletes, for example, I'm going to keep harping on them because I feel like they just have it the worst maybe out of everyone, um, is that a lot of their routes have water on it. Like, they, what? like there, are fa- there are fountains on it. So it's like they like their running route has water fountains along the way type of thing. So it's kind of like their mini aid stations. Um, once again, that's not providing electrolytes or fuel, but like for an hour long run or for a 45 minute run, that might be fine. That being said, like, yeah, when we get into the heat of the summer, generally speaking, maybe in the colder months, I'll be like, okay, if it's 90 minutes or more, that's like when fluid and fuel is most like you have to be fueling at that point. You have to be replenishing some of that fluid loss at that point because you're just digging yourself a huge hole otherwise. But I think when you're particularly if we're in like a type of week, like we're in a like a in a particularly hot week or it's gonna be a particularly hot weekend or whatever it is. Yeah, then I do encourage my athletes that even if the run's only 60 minutes, like there's nothing, there's nothing again, like I there's no reason not to bring a handheld, right? Like they make really small handhelds. It could be eight ounces. Like it could be really small um, with water or water and a little bit of electrolyte or, you know, a modest calorie elect- uh, electrolyte sports beverage that has, you know, 80 to 100 calories in it per 16 ounces or whatever. Like that's an easy thing to put in a soft flasks and take even on those short runs. And there's no detriment. There's nothing. There's no downside to doing that, Right. Like there's no, there's no negative to bringing hydration with you is kind of my, I think my, my take on that more than anything. Except the ego. For some reason, ego can play a part for certain people, especially if you're not a camel. You're not a camel. What ego, who, what, what (laughs) ego battle are you losing? Who are you losing to if you're so tough that you can't bring water on your hour run? Like, what is that? I hear you. No, you're, you bring up a good point. I'll tell you, I think that the, the, is for some of the folks who don't do anything beyond like 5 to 10K. So they don't do a lot of like super long runs. So they're not used to like, hey, like, all right, I'm going on for two and a half hours. I'm more like a 25, 35 mile a week person. So like, I just don't have this stuff. You want me to go buy this thing now? Like, I don't just have it at the ready. So I think there are certain folks, I've talked to a bunch of them who like need to kind of be walked down this path. Allison, when you're talking to someone who is, um, you know, politely, but stringently, I'm guessing maybe the right word, but kind of like um, objecting to the idea of the the water and electrolyte mix as often as you can, and there's no negative to it, uh, and you're getting some some light pushback on that. What are some of the things that you like to tell your athletes? I had an athlete tell me like, oh, "I don't need anything. I'm not going out that long." I'm like, "All right, well, this is long for you, and I know what you do for a living, and I know you don't get enough chance to drink water or eat the way you should." I mean, like people who work on their feet um, don't get enough time to take in water or feel the way they need to. So just just humor me, just one run, humor me, <laughs> and let's just see how it goes. You can even pick whatever it is you want to pick, whatever that feels right for your stomach, and let's just see. Oh my God, the run went so much better. Tell me, tell me about it. Tell me all about it. <laughs> so that's how we get over there. Speed bump, I just um, politely encourage them to just, just humor me. Just watch, just try it just one time. I love that. Yeah, my good friend Stephanie Flippin says all the time that she doesn't go on a run without two handhelds. She has two all the time. Like there's like, no matter the weather, like she has two all the time. And I'm like, well, if it's good enough for her, 
and she's super fast and she's a doctor. Like what 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 what, what am I going to say? What could I possibly argue against this? I think sometimes we um you know as amateur runners tend to think that we don't I don't know, we we do things harder than the elites, which makes absolutely no sense to me at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're punishing yourself. You're like, well, I don't, I don't deserve the handheld. I don't deserve to carry the liquid fluid, like the the hydration <laughs> with me. Yeah, a hundred percent. See that? I love that. Yeah, like I'm not a pro. I don't need XXX, right? So like you fill it in, but X, dot, XXX dot dot dot. Man, I'm I'm losing it here. Um, it's funny because like that might be true. Like, hey, yeah, you don't need two hundred dollars shorts. Yeah. So on no, so but, no but one you, needs two hundred dollars shorts. Let's, we'll just put the, let's start with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and but like when it comes to like, hey, do I need a handheld? I'm not a pro. Like, yes. If anything, you need it more because your body's not trained like a pro. Not, I'm not like, granted. Obviously, the pros need to, but like you, you, your your lack of training necessitates this even more than some of those people, right? It's like it's like a lifter being like, I don't need a spotter. That's for professional weightlifters. I'm fine. Yeah, there's there are many the examples. Overprepared, <laughs> underprepared, yes, but overprepared for a hot run, no. No, absolutely. All right. Um, I feel like we have gone through the checklist of things. We were like really beating this over the head in terms of in terms <laughs> of all of this stuff. Um, when you are preparing someone for a race, Corinne. So someone's doing a race and it's sub ultra, right? Where where it's very where it can be very pace specific in terms of like, all right, it's fairly flat and we can really dial in a pace. And someone's been running according to their RPE with a lot of stuff and maybe the heat has impacting them. How do you go about figuring out um, a specific, um, I guess, uh, race pace for that individual if they've been doing workouts or just running in a way that maybe isn't aligning with being being super pace specific in terms of being conscious of it and maybe they're just not running a lot of those kinds of workouts. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean my a lot of my road my road athletes my road runners we will definitely be able to set up like um, pace like kind of there there are paces associated with RPE right just because the RPE should be associated with some sort of physiological like happening but i would say that you know like there'll be an ideal like okay what's our ideal race scenario right and like we've got those paces picked out versus what's our like what's our contingency plan like what happens if it's going to be record temps on race day okay do we have a pool, do we have a pre-cooling strategy like do we have like is everything else dialed in type of thing so that we can go into the race confident that okay we either know that we're going to fall off in a big way because it's really hot out um, like we'll see that even at the professional level, right? Like going out super aggressively and there being more fall off potentially in, in these hot weather races. But then, then the next thing too is like, right, maybe it's a tactful, like you do, you, you focus on race tactics over race pace, right? And you set, you know, you set a margin of error for them to go out pace wise, and then you can adjust it from there. I think that having, if anything, Training people for ultras and running ultras myself has taught me a lot about having multiple backup backup plans because something's going to go wrong. That's just the way ultra running is like you plan for plan A, but man, you're going to be on plan F by the end of the thing for sure <laughs> um, because something's not going to go right, be it your hydration or your nutrition or cramping or whatever it might be. So I think it's like I think you can have an ideal race day scenario built up for an athlete, but you have to have been prepared for, you know anything that could go wrong and how they're going to adjust to that type of thing. Like, I think that's our, like part of our job as a coach is like not just the ideal scenario, but the like, 
making adaptable athletes so that when it when it is record temps for whatever reason, that they have that other plan to kind of lean into as far as like, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm fighting for the win or I'm fighting like I'm I'm, you know, I'd like to be competitive with my age group or whatever it might be, kind of like being able to, you know, checks and balances off of other people, which I like to make athletes like run their own race over running the race of people around them. But, you know, I think particularly in the sub ultra distance, we can play into some of that stuff a little bit more than you can in like a hundred mile race for most people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How about you, Allison? Um, I think that most of my, well, most of my runners um, are on the road. So I tell them like, you know, if the race is expected to be hot and they're going to keep the course open, make sure you take advantage of everything that they have on the course, because the race directors have put a lot of science into it and they know exactly what it takes. So if there's pickle juice at mile 16, as awful as it may sound like it, you should probably take some, or, you know, if they have sponges, like whatever the course is offering, um, try to take it make sure you're taking your water and there's no shame in switching over to a run walk maybe at the end so we'll we'll go over all of that um before race day but definitely tactics and more so strategy based versus pace based all right last thing before we get going both of you just in terms of warm-up for a race right so we're talking 5k 10k half marathon how you get your athlete warmed up and expecting them to approach very early on in the race if it's at all different than, you know, it's 45 degrees, 50 degrees, kind of the ideal conditions. And I'll kind of set the stage by saying, I know for me, like, I am much more likely to, like, go out faster in a hot race just because I, I seem to be I feel like I'm more warmed up. Right. So I just had a race last weekend where I was like, I was able, like, I purposely like put myself back in the field. It's like, I know my own tendencies. I'm like, all right, like I'm getting behind this double stroller because I will not be able to pass this person at the beginning, first, the first quarter mile of this race. They were plenty fast. I wasn't going to pass them anyway, but it was like a, like put up like a little safety net for myself, knowing the tendency. Whereas if it's cooler conditions, maybe you're not quite as warm. I did a half three months ago. It was like, five degree wind chill and it was 30 mile an hour winds the whole way. And it was like, you have a very different feeling at the start of the race. So Allison, for you, how do you, how do you approach warm up for a summer race? If it's at all different than at a different time of the year? Um, the only thing we do differently is, uh, start hydration in carb loading, maybe a little bit earlier, um, in the summer versus a, um, fall or winter race. But in terms of like physically warming up, not too much, not too much of a difference. Yeah. My general take is that the shorter the race, the more important the warm up. Like you don't need a warm up for a hundred mile race. You don't really need a warm up for a 50 mile race or even, I mean, a, hot, a fast 50 K sure. You can definitely jog, but it's like the shorter the race gets, the more important the warm out, the warm up is right. As far as like feeling good, feeling ready to go. Cause you're going to start hard, um, independent, you know, of, of the front of the pack versus the back of the pack. Like you start a little bit harder than you might be anticipating or expecting, um, one thing that you could do, particularly in shorter races, I'm thinking like 5k, 10k, um, for most, for, for people, maybe up to the marathon, um, is set yourself up right for, for starting a little bit cooler. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, you don't need fancy ice vests. Like you'll see professional cyclists or professional marathoners or, um, like USA track and field, um, championships are coming up and you'll see it for sure. Cause it'll probably be hot at Eugene and people will be warming up in, in ice vests. Um, the goal there being that you're, you're trying to create a larger temperature gradient. Um, so you have an extra degree maybe to warm up, like for your body to heat up over the course of the race before you get to that, like your brain says no more hotness. Um, but an ice, uh, if you put a towel in a bucket of ice water 
and put that around your shoulders, that's a poor man's ice vest. It works really, really well. I know professional coaches um, that work with like the Canadian sports teams use that because it's very, very effective. Um, so you can, in short races, utilize some pre-cooling strategies um, just to start, you know, with your body warm in a way, like your muscles are warm, but your core temperature can be just a smidge colder um, to try to give yourself a little extra, like an extra degree, essentially, um, so you don't overheat too soon. That's a great point. We'll do like, I guess, do lightning round, just tips and tricks, because um, you brought that up. And that's that, that's a great tip. And one thing that I that I try to remind my athletes as much as possible and utilize myself as well is that shade cannot be overestimated. Like it is so valuable. And I'm not just talking about sunburns. I sunburn my butt off. If anyone's ever seen a picture of me already knows this, um, I'm, I'm red in the dark, right? I am sunburned all the time. With that said, like just it lowers just the, the without having to have the direct sun on you, it just feels so much better. So if there's a bike path near you or say you're running in the morning, right? We talk about some morning running, like run north to south. Don't run east to west, right? Because that way you're going to, if you run on the eastern side of the road and it's in the morning, you're more likely to be in the shade as opposed to if you run east to west, you're more likely to be, say, one, one direction running with it, your back, another way uh, coming into your face. For me, like that, that goes a long way. Finding really shaded routes, whether it's on a trail or on the roads, that can play a huge part. It becomes a little monotonous by the end of August. I'm like, I am sick of running on this road, but... I'll take the trade off at the same time. Allison, do you have any little tips and tricks you like to tell your athletes? Uh, listen to your body earlier, sooner versus later. Uh, I know a lot of times during those hot races or races, maybe like you're training in the winter and then go to Miami because you think it's a like nice racecation, but now you're stuck with humidity and heat that you weren't used to dealing with in the wintertime. Um, you know, those final miles, I have a lot of friends who have gotten really close to the end and just not made it because they're pushing through that adrenaline is going um, and they did not listen to their body early enough. And then unfortunately they weren't able to finish the race. So listen to your body sooner than later, um, especially on race day and pull that pace, pull that pace back just a little bit. It's worth it to save your life. All right. How are you, Corinne? Oh my goodness. There's so many tips one. and so tricks. I'm kind of coming back to you for a second <laughs> There's time. There's so many tips and tricks. I don't know. I'm all about, I'm all about cooling strategies, right? Like yes, heat acclimation is a cooling strategy. Pre-race stuff is a cooling strategy. Um, Allison mentioned like sponges on the race course. Heck yeah. I mean, they're not quite as advantageous in the humidity as they are in a dry heat. If you're out west, good on you. Um, you know, like that, like you can utilize evaporative cooling more. So yeah, use those ice cold sponges. That's great. Get wet because that gives your body, that's how we cool down the most is by actually is utilizing evaporative cooling. That's why you sweat. Um, our bodies are pretty smart in that way. Um, and then another thing too is like, not not necessarily drinking like ice slurries like uh, like where ice is blended because that's almost too cold it can freak your body out a little bit but iced down beverages right with whole ice cubes in it cold beverages can be really beneficial as far as like dropping that temperature a little bit but ice slurries where things are blended up which we thought would work doesn't it actually freaks out your stomach and tries to convince your body it's colder than it is and it shunts blood the wrong direction so ice cubes yes crushed ice no uh, but getting cold beverages in is a really good thing, too. I like that. All right. Last one before you get going. The Blessing of the Fleet is a really popular 10-mile race out here in Rhode Island. It's right along the water uh, in Narragansett. It's great. It's either pouring, pouring, pouring rain, or it's super, duper hot. There doesn't ever seem to be a middle ground. <laughs> um, and it's funny. When it's hot, this is, the, this is the best tip and trick that I've ever seen. There are kids in the last two miles because it's basically running on like Route 1A 
and it's just hot. It's super exposed. The race starts at 5 p.m. So it's like the, the sun is just it's there and you're not going to hide except for the last mile and a half. It comes back through neighborhoods on the way back to Narragansett Beach. And there's kids in the front lawns with super soakers the whole way. Yes. Don't avoid them. Stay. Get near those front yards. Cool down. Be a super soaker. Two birds with one stone. They're going to love they're going to love cheering you on and you're going to get a little cooler. I think that's the best the best tip slash trick I've had as a runner in terms of dealing with the coldness, except for no other reason than it was just more fun. Yeah, your neighbor's sprinklers, run through them. I don't know if your neighbors are going to be cool with that, but run through the sprinklers. It's a good idea. Fire hydrants, whatever water sources available. Run through them. I love it. I love it. Corinne, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an absolute blast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Corinne and Allison, thank you so much for this wonderful episode of Coach's Corner. Also, Remember, if you're listening to this pretty close to when we release it, you want to go check out some of the live broadcasts for the Broken Arrow Sky Race and for the Western States 100 to go check out uh, not only Corinne's work over there on the broadcast, but the amazing athletes who are going to be running and competing on those days. Thank you for listening and have a great day. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.